We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign, uh, and the guts, to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. I think it just proves that First Nations lands management really is working. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. And joining me now is Chief Maureen Chapman. Chief, great to have you with us on the podcast. Well, thank you. I bet our listeners would really enjoy it if you could take a couple of minutes here to place your community, where you're located, and what size, and that kind of information. Okay. Well, we're in uh, beautiful British Columbia, and we are probably an hour and a half east of Vancouver and very close to Harrison Hot Springs. Most people know where that is, so we're a 20-minute ride from Harrison Hot Springs. We're in between the towns of Agassiz and Hope, B.C. Approximately 100 members. Most of our members live away from the reserve, and many of our members live in the U.S. Okay, and I think you, uh, you grew up in the States, did you not? I did uh, for... From the time I was 15 until I came back in the early 90s after my son was raised and came back to help out with the work that needed to be done here in the community. What uh, attracted you back? Well, the, the major thrust, other than getting my son through school, was to finish my education, go on to college and university, which, as long as I lived in the U.S., wasn't paid for by... Uh, the department here so that was a big driver for me gotcha and you if i if my study is right you've been hereditary chief since 1999 or 2000 thereabouts 1999 so what was it about or maybe take me back to the time you first heard about this land code phenomenon and why it was attractive well we first heard about it through a presentation to the stella nation chiefs council uh, Robert came out to uh, Robert Louis came out to Stella Nation and did the initial presentation, and it was all brand new to every one of us that were at the table at that time. So we put, were basically put on a waiting list because there were many communities before us that had applied. So it took us a little while, but that pause in the work helped us to research and just really understand what it was going to take to get into land code. I bet if Robert Louis had a dollar for every presentation he did back then. I said he could retire. <laughs> it's been interesting to talk to people like Austin Bear and Robert Louis and others who were back at the very beginning. And I had a great chat with Joe Hall recently as well. And to discover that younger people in land code communities feel a real debt to those who came before them and set the foundation for this. Have you discovered that? I have. There, There's a tremendous amount of work that occurred before Robert could even come out to present and invite communities to join. And I think people realize once they get into it, once they sign on and become operational, developmental, even the developmental stages 
are so deep in learning that they appreciate the resources that are available to assist them to go through their land code process. Your land code was created how long ago? In 2010. Okay. And do you recall what the, uh, the vote was at the time? You know, I don't. I don't think there was any objection to it. There have always been some myths, I guess, around land code, and maybe um, some people in the beginning were, were not so sure. I mean, did you run into any initial opposition or concern that maybe treaties would be affected? Not really. I haven't personally, uh, in the areas and tables that I've dealt with, I think it was just a matter of lack of knowledge and clarity about what is treaty, what is land code, and how is each other affecting each other. So not no opposition. And uh, I went online a couple of weeks ago and actually read uh, parts of your land code. And I, I noticed in the beginning, in the preamble, it suggested that it was repealed twice and then replaced with a newer version. Do you recall what prompted those changes? I think it was part of the learning curve that we were going through because we had no experience at all with land code. And we appointed one of our council members as the land manager, and she had to learn from ground zero what was all involved. And that took a while. And as we learned, we improved and just wanted to make sure when we finally had what we thought we needed, that we could present that to our community members. And you must still have some of those community members on your land advisory committee? Yes. Yes, we do. Some land managers have told me that when you look at everything that can be included in an agreement with the government of Canada, the one thing that stood out for them most was to be able to control their heritage sites, to be able to manage environmental protection. Was that important to your community? Absolutely. I think the uh, most important was just getting out from under the Indian Act when it comes to taking care of our lands. And that's in, that includes all of the traditional sites and the cultural places within our respective territories. Just taking control of the land so that we could build businesses and cultural centers. And, you know, there were visions of community homes or subdivisions for our members. So the land was key to all of that occurring. Yeah. Are, are you involved at all in any treaty negotiations now or any uh, additions to reserve processes? Yes, in both. Um, I'm one of six communities at the Stella Nation, Stella Kukumuch Treaty Association, and we are in stage five of our treaty, which there's six stages, and also actively working on additions to reserve because our land base is very small, and treaty helps us as well through identifying properties that we can possibly purchase. And what vision do you have for future use of the additional land if you do acquire it? Well, we'd like to do some economic development in order to provide long-term financing for the community and businesses for our community members who are interested. Housing, of course. We're looking at housing for our members and possibly a, uh, an elder's uh, facility or an elder's housing development 
in our lands as well. Okay. Uh, do you generate much own source revenue at this point, Chief? Not a lot. Not in terms of some of the bigger communities. We recently were benefited by a land claim, a specific claim that we had put through, and that has helped us tremendously and allowed us the leverage to borrow money if we need to and not use our own money, but it's provided a lot of leverage for our small community. Sure. Um, tell me about Adventure Park. Has that always been there? No, it hasn't. That used to be a mosquito-infested property that you couldn't even walk through. So we envisioned somewhere for our young people and people generally just to walk and bicycle and also have opened it up to the community at large. It's a public place. Few challenges, of course. We've got people that think they need to steal our carvings and, you know, break into our property. But um, other than that, I mean, most people are very good. They really enjoy just being able to go to somewhere that's close by. Are young people, are you finding they're staying and are they able to find work in your community or are they heading out to neighboring municipalities? That is a big challenge for our community. Most of our members that have gone on to further education have set up their homes where they're living. That's why a lot of people are in the U.S. because of bigger opportunities. And if we can grow some businesses here, we hope that that's a draw for some of our members to return home and be able to live here and work here. Something, as you know, you're in the middle of the 25th anniversary of the Framework Agreement and the whole land code movement across Canada. What does that mean to you? Well, I think it's exciting. It's just a testament to what can happen if you work hard, stay focused, and keep your community at the forefront of all of the work that you're doing. My hat's off to Robert and Austin and Darcy, those that were there from the very beginning. It has benefited us through their hard work before they even know, even knew who we were. Would you like to give a shout out to any people on your team, whether they be on council or whether a land manager for, for helping move things along? Well, I'll give a shout out to my whole team because we don't work independent of each other here. Our lands manager, hats off to Councillor Deborah Schneider for taking this on and pulling her hair out parts of the time because you just have to learn this stuff the hard way, right? And then all of our support staff, Diana and Sharon and Susan, we've got a great team here. We're a small team but we work collaboratively. There's no chief making all the decisions in this community, so it's, it's a great team to work with. If someone were to come to you, and I suppose they likely do from time to time, and say, you know, why should my community consider a land code? What's in it for us? What would your first reaction be? Well, I mentioned earlier, it's, it gets us out from under the Indian Act when it comes to taking care of our lands. To us, it's provided capacity building, getting fun funding to manage our lands department, employment, and then 
as I mentioned earlier, taking control of our lands regarding businesses, community buildings, cultural centers. And it just generally opens the door for further development. Because of this, we've done a community safety agreement with the RCMP. We, you know, we've got a community quality and protection law. So we've developed quite a few laws because of it, keeping in mind our land code. Uh, we've de developed our own spousal property law or matrimonial law, which I think is a benefit to us. And just generally, government is more confident dealing with First Nations, I feel, that have achieved land code because it provides more certainty to everyone. Well, I know you're on a very tight schedule today, so why don't we just wrap up uh, by having you suggest where people might get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about your community and why you got involved with Land Code? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can contact our office at Skalug First Nation. The phone number is 604-796-9129. And our wonderful EA, Diana, will take your message and make sure that she can contact me. I was just, uh, I had a call with my colleagues on the Lands Ad Advisory Board the directors that who you've talked to all of them right yeah one of my met uh, colleagues had mentioned that as far as um, podcasts go I guess lab was up at number four until this article about Sasquatch came up and then we got bumped down to number seven right I just want to share with you where I live is called Ruby Creek and Ruby Creek is recorded in Sasquatch history for a sighting back in 1941. And Jeannie Chapman and her children were the ones that sighted Sasquatch. And they were my dad's uh, great aunt and uncle. So just for those that are listening and rating the podcast, um, you can also get additional information about Sasquatch if you call our office. That's quite a connection. I'm glad, I'm glad you shared that. Thank you so much for sharing your time today and all the best. All the best to you. Thank you. Join us in the coming weeks as we explore the land code in more detail and the personal journeys of leaders involved in the process. You can visit the website at labrc.com for a wealth of information and you can follow the Resource Center on Facebook. You can also subscribe to this podcast and all the major platforms. And we'd really appreciate it if you could help get the word out by just telling one colleague about the show. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening.